Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Tina Berger about the transformative potential of deep listening and emotional receptivity. Tina Berger, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited for this conversation today. We're going to be focusing on the transformative potential of deep listening and emotional receptivity. This is something you uh, spend a lot of your time focusing on and working with clients and organizations. And I think it holds a lot of value and meaning, uh, well, really anytime, but I think particularly in today's world of tumult and challenge and crisis and pandemic. Uh, I think everyone is struggling. And uh, coming out of the pandemic, we're going to shift yet again and have to adapt and adjust. And with that comes stress and anxiety and emotional trauma. uh, And that requires compassion and empathy in order to help our organizations thrive uh, and for our people to be productive. And so these are the types of things that we'll uh, discuss in relation to listening and being emotionally receptive. As we get started, I wanted to read Tina's bio for everybody. Tina Berger holds an MBA in global energy and advises Fortune 500 corporations through strategic digital transformations. Having engaged deeply with the challenges faced by corporate executives and staff for more than 20 years, she now advocates a a systemic reset, collectively reimagining of our economic paradigm such that they serve the global good and the needs of future generations. She writes and speaks on the power of receptivity and co-creative innovation. You can learn more at www.tinaberger.com. Uh, again, wonderful background. I'm super excited for the conversation. Before we really dive on in, anything you would like to share with listeners by way of your personal background or context? I, I think that pretty much covers it. What I, what I will say is uh, I'm a quirky combination of things. So you talked a little bit about my, um, my work history um, and my focus on receptivity started out as personal. Uh, so I'm also a, uh, a 20 plus year practitioner of yoga and meditation and, uh, and a studier of awareness practices and consciousness. So I have this, this duality in my experience and in my own curiosity that uh, enlivens my professional life as well. Uh, And so my work in receptivity kind of came from an individual exploration first and then kind of became organizational. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I think that's great. And I I think that's usually the way it works and is most effective. When we experience something, a phenomenon, we can can practice it, we can um, learn to grow within you know, whatever that concept or sphere is, and then we can share it with other people. And so I think it's great that you've developed uh, as a as a meditation practitioner and, and 
uh, with yoga and receptivity. And now you get to pay it forward and you get to help others in organizations and in their personal life, uh, figure out how they can be more receptive and, and uh, more emotionally in tune, uh, listen deeper, and ultimately, hopefully have better, stronger, more sustainable relationships, whether it's at home, at work, in the community, whatever. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, so part of what what put me on this path to begin with is recognizing that um, that there's a there's an inherent bias. Like as I began to develop my own sense or my own work, do my own work in in being becoming a better listener, becoming a better um, friend, and able to share emotional presence with folks. Um, beginning to recognize the communal effects of some of the systems that we have in place. You know, we're a very individualistic um, uh, kind of culture. We value the individual experience and that is absolutely half of our experience. And then the other half of our experience is that we're all in this collective boat together, this kind of global world boat together. Uh, and so that's, that's the other half of our experience. And so uh, what I would say uh, my own practice and my own individual experiments, and I would say my own individual failures as well have taught me is uh, that we have a need to, to, to balance this out, you know, so uh, in our culture and in our workplace, there's, a, there's an emphasis on, on being assertive, uh, of getting your voice heard and in the room, um, and of what I would kind of call or the, the thinking and planning and rational and deductive and linear um, and directive part of our, our human expression. Uh, and so, it, you know, in some models, uh, if you think about some of the, the more ancient models, that's kind of the yang or, you know, the masculine assertive uh, focus. Uh, and, and the pieces where we, and that's what you get paid for, that's what you get recognized for. That's what you get good grades for being able to do, get your goal and grind it out. Um, really useful. Um, but there's also this whole other aspect of self and of, hum of, hum of, human, of the human experience, uh, which is about really being able to take in, not just information, not just listening for you know, facts and logic and uh, reason, but also take in what's what's not necessarily being seen or said. So when you, there are different levels of listening, uh, and so we can listen to what words someone is saying, and in the background of our mind, be formulating a response uh, or uh, thinking of a position or wondering how it relates to how our own experience or perception um, has been formed or we can just be present with that person uh, and that whole entire person's being in that moment without having our own agenda or thoughts in that process. And so that's a transformational practice when you can actually get to the place where you're really with somebody that's deeply receptive. And we don't have a lot of experiences um, as a culture for knowing how to do that, um, both just in individual uh, conversations and engagements, but also in an organizational level. Yeah, uh, yes. I, I think like you said, especially organizationally, um, assertiveness, the assertive style in leadership and in just corporate America generally, um, 
means that people really aren't trained to to listen in the in the deep way that you're describing. Um, we we you know everyone's heard about the power of listening and the importance of of uh, you know making sure that you're doing reflective listening and those sorts of things. And so what ends up happening is in order for someone to feel like they're being a good leader or in order, you know, they, if they're getting reviewed, they, they want to be seen that way. And so they'll go through the motions of listening and acting like they're listening, but it's, it's, it's a fundamentally different thing when you come to it with your own preset agenda, um, not really seeking to understand, but, but you're just going through the motions and what you're describing is, is something very different, uh, that, that we really come to the person, uh, we be with the person, our, our whole self is with their whole self. Uh, we, and we just being there with them, listening, observing, watching, you know, the, the, I, as you were describing everything, I was thinking about emotional intelligence and emotional quotient. That's a big part of, of deep listening is that you are just in tune to the other person and you can pick up on things that aren't said. You can pick up on the hidden emotions that maybe, you know, maybe there's a little bit of emotional, emotional leakage that slips out, you know, in, in little facial expressions and such. But otherwise, unless you're super uh, attentive and in tune, you're not going to notice those sorts of things. And, and that just requires us to slow down a little bit, to be ready and willing uh, to just be with the other person. And that's not how our fast paced culture, uh, in, in America, at least very individualistic culture, um, corporate culture, uh, you know, it, it, that's not how it's set up. That's not the norms and the expectations that most people have yet. That's what sets apart the greatest leaders, what sets apart, uh, the greatest, uh, teammates and the greatest collaborators and innovators is that they really truly have that that commitment to deep listening and inquisitiveness for deep reflective listening. And, and ultimately they'll give the time and, and priority to it. What you said there is, uh, is very significant related, uh, especially like all, all of what you said was significant, but there was a piece that I think gets missed a lot in, in organizations that need to innovate. And that is the, the way that deep listening allows you to truly integrate different points of view, the way that we have innovation sessions often is, uh, is really a competitive session. You know, we'll have eight people around the table. Um, everyone comes with their idea already about the best way to address the problem. We take turns presenting and advocating and asserting for our our idea, we may modify it slightly, as you say, to kind of make people feel like they got heard, but we're committed to our idea. If you really let go of your idea for the time that someone else is, is explaining theirs, and you, you really allow yourself to take it in, it will change your idea. It will change your notion of what's, uh, what's a good solution because people have good reasons. And some of the reasons that they have may not be the ones that are on paper. It may be an affective, it may be an emotional understanding that they have. It may be a sensitivity to something you didn't know. Uh, and I learned these things the hard way because I have a strong intellect. So 
I, I often had the idea that, well, I know what the right solution is to this. And like you say, I need to, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the term buy-in anymore, but I need to get buy-in for my idea. Well, that's not listening. If what your agenda is, is to get buy-in to a solution that you've already created, then you're not really in an innovative space. You're not really in a deeply receptive space. And, you know, the way that the assertive point of view, which and, and the deductive, logical, rational point of view says you do these things and and then ultimately you you reason your way to the best solution. Whereas, you know, if you're being very receptive, then what you're doing is you are you're in a flow. That is a very different feeling, a flow than a process. Both are valuable, they have different different applications, we're really good at the one and not really good at the other because yeah. flow is not as predictable. Flow doesn't really look efficient. We have a real value for what we consider to be efficiency, um, but you are not integrating uh, if you are being process-driven and, uh, and efficient uh, and you're not really benefiting. And so from, from all of the wisdom around the table and so some of the folks who have over time not been able to, um, I would say, bring the most value of their own gifts in the contexts that we have organizationally are people who are slow, more integrative, more thoughtful processors of information. And so they're not there with the idea right when it's time to brainstorm. And so two days later, you know, they're still frustrated from that whole session and you missed some really important, not you, but like we missed as a team, some really important insights and probably something that should have shaped our, our solution and would have shaped it better. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. You know, as you were describing that, I was thinking of some of my own experiences with, with brainstorming, with quote unquote innovation sessions, and most of them have been like you just described. Um, the difference and, and the ones that have truly produced great 
innovative creative outcomes have always been of the more collaborative intentionally listening sort uh, where where it wasn't competitive you know people would share their ideas but they weren't advocating necessarily for their ideas and it wasn't like a fixed pie where only one or two ideas could win it was truly just like hey let's get ideas out on the table let's talk about them let's integrate um you know let let's innovation isn't about coming up with something brand new that no one has ever thought of before. Um, sometimes that's, you know, the type of innovation that occurs most of the time, it's just combining things that no one's ever thought of before. It's, it's, uh, it's being the, the ultimate aggregator of disparate pieces of knowledge, information, different disciplines, um, just being able to pull those together. And a lot of people can't, see that they can't see the big picture because they're so focused on their narrow view, their narrow piece. But when you when you get into this receptive space, and you, you described it as flow, um, where nobody, you know, has their 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 own personal agenda, you're just trying to get to great outcomes, great solutions, then, you know, I, I think about the, they're more rare, but those types of experiences that I've had, those are the ones that have produced all of the greatest creative and innovative types of um, processes, uh, programs, uh, ideas, you know, things in my career that have, have pushed me forward, have pushed my team forward the most. Uh, and and it, it's funny too, because afterwards, I always sit back and I, and I just think, wow, I was so dumb. Why didn't I see this before? Like now it's so obvious. <laughs> why, why did I never see this before? I may have been working on this problem, this issue, for months, for years, and you know, trying to come up with coming up with some reasonable approaches to deal with it. But then, at some point, you just you make these new connections that you never saw before, uh, and and all of a sudden, voila! It's 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 you you have your solution, and it's ingenious, and it's but it's also often fairly simple. It's just combining different things. You're never going to get there unless you're truly deeply listening and unless you're receptive. There's two things that you said. One is it's rare, which is concerning, right? Uh, because at a time where we have such uh, tremendous challenges, you know, and and, well, I'm and not... let me let me say too, uh, in my experience, it's been rare. It doesn't need to be rare, though. Uh, it, it it it's been rare because that's the way we set up the meetings. That's the way we set up the environment. Um, but hopefully, we can move beyond that. So the two things you said that stuck with me, one is it's rare and for exactly the reasons that you're saying is we don't really know how to cultivate that kind of space very well. It's just not, it hasn't been the focus. It hasn't been, uh, we haven't fully understood its potential. Uh, once you feel it, you experience it, you go, oh, that's how this is supposed to go. That's the other thing. It's so many people haven't been in it been in situations where they've had that experience. And so the question becomes, A, how do we open space for that? Like, what are the conditions that create that kind of uh, potentiality in our organizations? And how do we give people those experiences so they can recreate and understand what we're talking about when we say, here's what flow feels like. Here's what a, a nurturing, psychologically safe environment feels like for, for an innovative process to emerge or for an innovation to emerge. Um, so I think those are, those are some of the things that motivate me. Um, yeah. in the workplace and also, you know, beyond it. So what I said, you know, what you read in my, in my bio is 
really what I'm about. It's really kind of backing up from within the organization. So it's working on all these different levels. You know, I'm working on my my own receptivity and, and ability to be emotionally available and present when I wasn't raised to believe those things were important or valuable. Um, and then also to create, to figure out how to work with that in organizations and groups, but then backing up even further to go, well, you know, what's happening at a global level? And are we really listening to what the earth and the, the, the and the, and to what, to what life is telling us? Are we being receptive enough or are we keeping our heads down and just plowing forward with the things that have, you know, worked in the past? Certainly there are some things that have worked in the past, but I think we're getting to the limits of some of that when we look at uh, some of the, the, the feedback, uh, whether it's scientific, uh, emotional, what we see on Facebook and interactions and dynamics there, there what we see in the, the, the spike of uh, mental health issues, you know, are there some things we need to adjust? Um, are we listening well enough? And, and my, my sense is, you know, we're too focused right now on action and deciding and being correct and not really yeah. fully taking in enough of the feedback that we're getting about what is and isn't working. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's right. And, you know, something you just said also connected, uh, it resonated with me. Um, I've been fortunate to have some of those experiences that I can draw on and say, yeah, this, these were, I, I don't know what even what to call them other than it was flow, it was like inspirational, right? Like you just have these kind of aha moments click and all of a sudden things fit into place in, in ways that seem so obvious now, but you, you never saw it before. Um, having experienced those types of, of situations, you know, I'm in a better position now to try to recreate those environments, but a lot of people haven't had that experience. All they've ever done is, you know, been in meetings that are competitive, agenda-driven meetings. Uh, and, and so we have a chance to model it though for other people. And the more people we help to have those types of experiences, and then we can debrief those experiences and talk about what happened, why they worked, why they were effective, you know, then we're training up our team, we're training up our people to be the next generation of leaders, or at least great collaborators, uh, so they can do great work. And, you know, helping them to understand exactly what we're talking about, the power of, of deep listening. Uh, ultimately, uh, that that's the only way we're going to solve some of the most complex, you know, messy, challenging problems the world is facing, uh, is if, if we can take that kind of an approach. And, you know, I often say it on the podcast, but uh, emotional intelligence, EQ is just as important, perhaps more important than IQ. Some of the quote unquote dumbest people I know are the highest IQ, most raw, you know, raw intelligence types of people. But because they're so stuck in their understanding and they know they're right and, and they have their reasons and they're very smart, um, they cut themselves off to the flow, to the inspiration, to the connection with others. And so they end up missing entire um, integrated pieces that otherwise, you know, someone else who may not have the same level of traditional quote unquote raw IQ intelligence does pick up on, can see, can work effectively with other people, has the, that emotional um, agility uh, and, and thereby, you know, has the, the potential to create those dynamic teams that can innovate. 
that's, that's what organizations need more of. So I certainly want people on my team that are intelligent, that are capable, that have skills and competencies, but as important as their raw, like technical knowledge in their field, their ability to work well together in a team, their ability uh, to respect each other, to, to, to honor each other's um, perspectives and to listen and to allow for others to share, uh, you know, the, those emotional quotient elements, that's just as important, perhaps more important to me. Yes. And, and for people who are uh, emotionally sensitive, for people who are integrators and, uh, and um, kind of deep processors, and for people who actually understand and recognize implications that are bigger picture implications, which sometimes slows down uh, decision making, um, and for people who are taking in, so you could say they're hugely sensitive because they're taking in emotional information, but they're also taking in more information generally. This slows people down in their decision-making processes. Uh, and those people have not been rewarded for that in the past. And what you have is a lot of leaders because leaders are people who have been successful in the systems that that reinforce all of these all of these ways of thinking as you say the intellect the the logical deductive reasoning aspects the directive aspects the assertive competitive aspects the structured aspects we've all we've been reinforced rewarded um advanced for those things so as, as as challenging it is as it is on that side to learn to stop and listen, it's we have to also understand that pe that people who actually lead with um, the more receptive aspects, who are more in that um, more in that emotional uh, EQ space, uh, are have have not been rewarded for those things. So there's a double challenge of one you know, yes, our organizations don't, but also as individuals, we're taught to be biased against that kind of expression. So recognizing that, being intentionally inclusive of it, looking for people, as I say, sort of get the wrong people in the room, you know, like, uh, and figure out, and, and then, as you say, we have to, we have to be able to create those spaces, we have to find ways to get this, most of the time, people who are in leadership positions, um, they wanna do things better. That's why they're there. They just have an, a very clear idea of what better is and, and, and they're missing a, a lot of key. That doesn't mean that their better isn't better. It just probably means it's not as much better as it could be. Their, their perspective can be informed greatly. And when you said, you know, your experience is the those uh, those sessions where where kind of your whole being has been uh, appreciated and invited, and there was there's this kind of democratic sharing that's happening, and people are, you know, being able to to really um, explore a, a much broader range of of ideas, feelings, perspectives about something in service of well, let's see what happens, let's see what flows. That's you said there's an inspiration. That's the piece that we're missing is, you know, if you think sort of receptive and assertive, the assertive side of the breath is the exhale and the 
inspiration is the inhale and inspiration is kind of mysterious. Uh, we don't deal with mis mystery very well in our system. It's mysterious and, and surprises happen when you're in an inspired, inspiring space. And we don't deal very well with surprises. You know, we want all the surprises uh, to be outside of the workplace. You know, like, yeah. We want to be able to predict what happens in the workplace. Well, that means that your, your change, your innovation has a limit to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love that. Uh, Tina, it has been a real pleasure. Uh, we've only scratched the surface. I would love to have you back so we could continue the conversation. But noting the time, uh, I, I just wanted to make sure that I gave you a chance before we close to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Well, you can find more about me on my website, which is tinaberger.com. I also have a book out which explores my own experience. It takes you on my journey of understanding um, what was missing within me, what I had closed myself off to and the receptive aspects of my being in order to be successful in, in my job and in uh, education, my educational uh, work. And so um, hopefully that's a, that's a useful point of, uh, of, uh, of departure and you can find me on all the on Amazon and IndieBound and all of the major online books, bookshops. Um, the thing that I would suggest for people that are most interested in understanding what is meant by this is, um, or what I, what I would actually say, the thing that's been most transformational for me in my life is to just to have a daily practice that I do that is receptive. Uh, and, um, and I don't offer anyone in particular that works for everybody. I would say that, you know, uh, follow, look around and find the things that speak to you and motivate you. Uh, it can be something as uh, as basic or as, um, uh, as seemingly uh, mundane as watering your plants with a certain kind of receptive point of view. You know, it doesn't have to be 30 minutes or an hour of Buddhist sitting meditation. So find something that speaks to you and that puts you in a receptive place at least once a day. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you, Tina. It has been a real pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, to get connected, find out more about what Tina can do to help you and your organization. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.